This week, we talk about the history of women's sexuality, Sigmund Freud, what would get you locked up in an institution in the 19th century, Betty Dobson, and why Joe Jackson is awesome. It's sex and death on the Let's Game! This is Wendy Sheridan, and you're listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. And hi, I'm Robin Renee. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. Well, we have a great week this coming week. We have a lot of interesting days. Um, on the 8th, March 8th, is National Women's Day. So I hope everybody celebrates that. And on the 10th, we have Daylight Savings uh, starting again. Um, sorry for those of you who hate it, but uh, I'm happy. I want the more. I want more light sunlight. I have mixed feelings about it, but it set your clocks forward one hour. Yes. Yes. Spring forward. It's, yes. I just. I just don't like that it's all of a sudden dark when I'm waking up again. Because right now I'm getting up early and the sun's out and I like it. And then I hate waking up in the dark, but it'll only be for a few weeks. Yeah. So I'll deal. Okay. Well, on the 11th is Worship of Tools Day. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I don't know. Somebody must worship tools. Well, you know, I, I enjoy, you know, a, a trip to Harbor Freight or the, or the Craftsman Department at Sears as much as the next woman. <laughs> but I don't know that I'm going to worship my tools. Um, I don't know. Well, I guess. we can try. <laughs> I don't know, maybe we need to appease. I could see, you know, for software, I will worship my software tools as long as it keeps them from, from yeah, crashing. He's so those guys. Make an offering. I'll make an offering to Adobe <laughs> other than the monthly fee I pay them. <laughs> Any birthdays this week? Yes, there are birthdays this week. I was I was contemplating the worship of tools, but um, oh, right. I, will, I will move on. Um, <laughs> your, your calendar tool tells you about birthdays. That's right. So on March sixth uh, is the birthday of Kiki D, which I just found amusing. I don't. I, I have to admit I don't know a whole lot about her, but her duet with Elton John in uh, "Don't Go Breaking My Heart" was, you know, I don't know, a classic. Mm. <laughs> um, the seventh is Wanda Sykes' birthday. I like Wanda Sykes. She's great. Yes. And on the 8th, we have Mickey Dolan's birthday, um, which, you know, I was thinking about him because we just lost Peter Tork, actually, which was a bummer yeah. for a lot of um, people and friends of mine. And um, I think it's Wendy my, have a birthday that day. Yeah, it's my dad's birthday. Uh, he uh, He's not alive anymore, but uh, the 8th was his birthday. And... Uh, it's actually like the 10th anniversary of his death, uh, the day we're recording this. So I'm really cheerful today. Ha ha ha. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. That's uh, February's screw. That's the thing about getting older. It's like all of the months and days start to get tainted by people you like dying. So it's like, what are you going to do? You know what? So Everybody dies. Yeah. 
eventually. Eventually, yeah. Nobody gets out alive. Everybody getting out alive, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yes, Wendy brings this week on Left Skate. Wendy depresses everybody. <laughs> That's all right because I my, I have a depressing birthday too coming up. So anyway, the oh. the I, I'm well. Then March 9th is Bow Wow's birthday. Well, so wait a second. Is Bow Wow a person? Bow Wow is a he's a rapper. Yeah, he. Oh, okay. uh, he was known as Little Bow Wow, but oh. now that he's turning 31, I think. He's maybe doesn't want to be little Bow Wow anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, not to be confused with Bow Wow Wow the band, which is also oh, that's what <laughs> I was confusing it with. <laughs> okay, uh, March twelfth is James Taylor's birthday, and it's also the birthday of Christina Grimmie, who um, this is yeah, I guess we're in a depressing mode here because she <laughs> was a. YouTube star, really amazing, from South Jersey, very uh, local to where I grew up, and was shot and killed while signing autographs in Orlando in oh my God. 2016. She was 22. Oh, that's uh, horrible. Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. So they got the guy that did it. I, you know, I don't, I don't know the case. I know that I know the incident. So I guess we could look up and find out what all happened. But it was, um, yeah, kind of a weird shock and a really, yeah. really great vocalist. Like I was listening to her YouTube stuff and, um, you know, it's uh, That's sad. Yeah. Well, let's, let's though, let's take our, our mood up though, because we can be thankful for James Taylor. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> and, and for her and for everybody, all these performers and um, folks. So, yeah. It was really, really disturbing to me to see a news item that um, an Alabama newspaper editor called on the KKK, like said the KKK should ride again and get rid of all the Democrats. And he basically wanted them to ride on Washington, D.C. and lynch people. Lynch Um, everybody. Well, Democrats and people who didn't like it. I don't know that he said... Black people specifically, but it, it, you know it was it's um, dog whistles that you can figure it. It's yeah, not, it was. It's it was definitely subtle. right. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, calling on the Klan is not subtle at all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. It was. He was saying that the, the Democrats are going to raise taxes and the KKK should hang them all, basically. And and I guess he was railing against other, you know. Uh, non-conservative policies. It was, it was, but whatever. It doesn't matter what he's As saying. Most of all the taxes that uh, the Republicans have raised, with the big cuts for their rich friends. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, the point, just the idea that someone would use that extreme of a language and a literal call for violence. You know, I don't know if he he never really apologized for it, as far as I know. I, you know, but. He well, just thought it was a this was an okay fire. thing to say, and that's a scary thing to say. He still owns, I believe, he still owns the paper. The last I heard, he but is he he is the owner and editor, editor and publisher. So I think. Oh my is. god! So he is no longer the editor. Uh, the editor is now Alicia Dexter, who is a black woman, which I think is fair <laughs> at the very least. Um, but a lot of people, I mean, everyone roundly just came out and said like this, 
is this is not our opinion. This is not what we want to be representing. And, and a lot of journalists obviously came out and spoke about this, but um, it's, it's um, disturbing. Isn't even the word. It's just so, so unnerving and, and uh, frightening, honestly, that someone thought that this was, this was an okay thing to say, you know, yeah. and to advocate for. Right. So, um, well, he yeah. owns paper. I guess he figured he could do anything. No, he still owns the paper. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, so those are the times we're in. And I just, you know, I we were, it's been talked about a lot. So I don't want to say more about it. But that was one thing in the news that really stuck out at me this week, too. I don't know what it means to me, except just be be wary, be aware. I don't want to live in fear but mm. I, no, I don't want to live in Alabama. So I don't want to live in Alabama <laughs> either. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, we have a, there was a hate music label that was very close to where I live that was, you know, based out in this area. Yeah, I know. Uh, South Jersey is actually pretty. Below the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's, be, it's, be, it's definitely overall less. Of the, it, it, it used to live up more to its reputation for being like the South, and it's you know whatever that means. But it's different. I mean, think I think things have changed, but obviously things are not perfect. And when you hear about things like this in other places, it's um, it's upsetting. And but, you know that this happened to the same week that they get this guy who is a member of the um, of the Coast Guard. Who has this oh, act of of weapons and things? Because he's he's planning to go out and kill, the, do the same thing. He's planning to go out and kill Democrats and and all these other people. Yeah, but they mm -hmm. got him. Yeah, at least they got him. But but he had a very I, elaborate plan. That was a, that was the uh, a lot yeah, of weapons. Scary thing. A lot of yeah. That to do it. Scary, scary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But justice seems to be marching along. I think we've got Michael Cohen testifying today. We've got uh, Manafort getting sentenced. We've got <laughs> some other things that are happening. I met the the um, um, the Mueller report is not coming out soon, so that's still in process, which is kind of good to know. I don't know, well, but that's like sort of, I guess the debate now is whether how much of it's going to be made publicly available. I know there's some people in Congress that are kind of calling for that. And I know there's pushback. Yeah, that's a big question to me. I'm not, I, I have not researched all of the details about who can make it public, what the protocol is for that. But mm. certainly there's going to be people, you know, fighting to get the most information that we can as, as much as possible. So What's, what sounds hopeful is the fact that uh, Mueller is planning to hand off parts of the investigation to the um, states, uh, New York, the Southern district of New York and also yeah. Virginia so that the, they'll still be in existence. They're, it's not going to disappear. Right. That's and, my understanding too, that when, you know, it, the, what what's in motion is already in motion and and no one is particularly going to be able to just cut it off and stop it you know yeah so that's good i also uh read yesterday which i guess is a week it'll be a week ago uh that the supreme court 
um, ruled on that case. And I don't remember if we talked about this in the podcast a few weeks ago or not. Uh, I kind of vaguely remember, maybe we did. Uh, it's the case where um, the judge had a ruling and then died before the case was over. I don't remember. Does that sound familiar? The Supreme Court decided that the the a jurist whose opinion was rendered before it actually gets becomes official, like in the in the sentencing or the the whatever part of the pro- process where they actually like say this ruling is now final. If the judge dies before that time, the ruling is thrown out. So, <gasps> oh, that's not good. Why? Well, it uh, depends, I guess. They have to be alive when the ruling <laughs> is. Um is rendered that that's their that was the decision and i'm trying to th- and it may I have been remember unanimous. it may that may have been unanimous and i don't remember now because i didn't read I, I only read about half the article yesterday so um but i do remember we kind of were talking about it but i don't remember if it made it on the air um so that's, a, that's a, i don't know how, i mean i had i have a weird amb- ambivalent feeling about that ruling i don't <laughs> I mean, it depends, you know, whether I like it or not depends on what the particular ruling is, I suppose. But I don't, but I don't, but independent of that, like, that's not the point, really. You know, it's it's an interesting take on the law and why that would be. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a, what do you think of that? What I don't do you- know. I, I like that you have to be alive for your opinion to be codified into law. Okay. I th- I think that's important. And I think if the, if the opinion is that important that maybe there is a, a living judge that will agree with you and, you know, do that. Um, and I think this, this really only applies in cases where there's like a panel of judges. It's not just like one judge. Mm. And I would, I wouldn't even know what the process would be like, like if you were in a trial and the, you know, it was all, the judge had to go away and go figure out what his ruling is going to be on the thing. And then he dies before that's finished or before he presents it in court. Right. I could could see that, that if, you know, if he didn't, you know, if it wasn't finished, finished, and maybe his clerks finish it for him, how, if he's dead, how are you going to know if what's your, what you're reading is actually what he meant or what he wanted to do? That's, you know, Because you can't, he that's, can't, that's uh, he's true. not there to, to, and maybe that's what their thinking was. Who knows? Because, because <laughs> if the ruling hasn't been handed down, it's in the hands of his staff. That makes more yeah. sense to me. I was, I was thinking like if someone already put it out there, I guess if someone already wrote their opinion and then died, and their opinion was, not, I, but I understand now. I see more what you mean. If it has to go through a process, yeah. it may or may not be accurate. Yeah. Okay. That I get it now. At least that's that's how I'm justifying it in my head. So <laughs> <laughs> this is the death episode. What's what's our next topic? Sex, sex, and death. All right. Oh, that, actually, there's our title. Yeah, that's the title. <laughs> Lovely listeners, we love you all, and we'd love to hear from you. So post your comments on our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram 
And please go to iTunes or wherever you go to get your podcasts and give us a five-star review. We really need those reviews and that would help us out a lot. Thanks a lot. Next week, we're going to bring you a conversation with Alexia Nelson, who studies music composition in Fresno, California. She's going to share some things about being a person with autism and how others who don't have autism can relate a little bit better. And she's going to talk about her interest in music as well. So please tune in. Well, continuing in uh, topics of women doing stuff, (laughs) we wanted to talk about women and sexuality and the history of women's sexuality. Um, There's a lot. That's like a topic that's, yeah, we could fill books of that. So I was kind of thinking that's like a really, really broad topic. (laughs) But we all kind of had some thoughts about various eras and things that have happened for women and understanding um, bodies and other people with vulvas and vaginas and you know i'm being expansive in my understanding of this (laughs) but um i was thinking about freud and how i think he (laughs) caused a lot of problems for for women um and men i think he caused a lot of problems yeah i'm sure some of his stuff was right but he yeah he but didn't. he didn't, he he really um, didn't understand female pleasure and orgasm. And it was, it was sort of taught, taught a lot of women that everything is phallocentric. And if you are not um, having intercourse and having orgasms through intercourse, then there's something, something's lesser or wrong about you and, and your body and, and your maturity, I think. Yeah, he completely, I think, misunderstood uh, he was, was that penis envy. That was his right. Yeah. yeah. That women had penis envy. And I think if you look at it from the, in terms of the patriarchy and the male power structure, uh, the penis envy becomes very easy to understand because if you had a penis when Freud was alive and before that you had, huge advantages and agency in the world. Mm-hmm. So, duh. <laughs> I mean, that's why, you know, when I was a little kid, I kind of wanted to be a boy because boys got to do things. Yeah, you know? but, so that's it. It's the boys get to do things. It's not because they have a penis. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, and yeah, cuz I, I I think I think Freud's operating under under some assumption that the world he lived in was the default best possible world. Mm. That's so, a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but I think well, the, 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 the damage done around people not being able to understand their own bodies or not even under, knowing that there's something to understand about it is, yeah. is really um, hurtful psychologically. I mean, there's a lot of ramifications for that, you know, um, and it's good to look at the, the cultural overview of it as well, Wendy. So thank you for that. You know, <laughs> well, it's yeah, and I and I think we've given him enough time. I really well. Don't. <laughs> so then I got to give time to Carol Gilligan because yes. if you if you were um, a woman and you were going to 
visit a therapist in the 70s, the first thing that would happen would be if that was a good therapist, especially if it was a woman therapist, she would hand you this book by Carol Gilligan called In a Different Voice, because Carol Gilligan was a psychologist um, and a writer who was the first one to say, hey, women are not men, uh, you know, like, that women are different, that, that women have this, their psychology is not just a, um, uh, a knockoff of men's psychology, that, that there's an entirely different approach. So um, I, I thought it was really cool. I, I had read back in the 70s, I read in a different voice and that it, it revolutionized the study of human psychology. I'm just reading a description too. But then um, I found out when I was doing my studies up in, in Massachusetts in the Berkshires um, on Shakespeare, which you'd think has nothing to do with psychology as we're talking about, but it has everything to do with psychology, that um, Carol Gilligan was one, she lived up there, but she was also very, very much into Shakespeare and used to come to the place where I was studying. And she studied there too. So I thought that was kind of cool. So I got to meet her. And now so many years later, she had this new book out called The Birth of Pleasure. And um, it's a very dense book. Uh, I, I tried reading it. Um, I got about eight pages in in three days. But wow. and you got to remember that I'm dyslexic, so it takes me a while to read things. But what's the book about? That's the problem. <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't tell you what it's about. I can read a description of the book, though, so... Um, first of all, the book description, Carol Gilligan, whose classic in a, in a different voice revolutionized the study of human psychology now offers a brilliant, provocative book about love. Why is love so often associated with tragedy? She asks, why are our experiences of pleasure so often shadowed by loss? And can we change these patterns? And from what I read when, when I was reading it is that she's looking at how how relationships between men and women are evolving too so that that's kind of cool that it's not just static and if you've ever read like um uh joseph campbell mm -hmm. it, it, you know how reading him is he's kind of dense yeah uh, and all over the place as he's talking about different mythology so she kind of does the same thing because she's looking at mythology as as a basis for the psychology of of how um relationships are developing so i think it's a really cool book and i would recommend it to anybody who wants a nice nice read it's not a light read but it's, <laughs> it's an interesting read and she um, she observed children at play and adult couples in therapy, and um, she discovered that the roots of, of a more hopeful view of love are all around us. And she finds evidence in new psychology, psychological research, and traces a path leading from the myth of Psyche and Cupid through Shakespeare's plays and Freud's case studies to Anne Frank's diaries. I just thought it was very interesting that she's like all over the place, but she finds things. So I, I recommend this book again. It's called 
the birth of pleasure. I would be interested in, in knowing more about it. Maybe I will check it out just because um, your initial description of the first book you mentioned by her sounded kind of like women are from Mars, men are from Venus, like this very um, yeah. not to not appealing idea to me that that, you know, the sexes are she, very she separate was. and kind of and distinct and. You know, well, I know a lot of people who yeah, are gender she, queer. She and wrote her book 20 years before that Women on Mars uh, book came out. So in right. other words, it's like the women from Mars, men are, well, women are from Venus, whatever, the Mars-Venus one. <laughs> 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 I got to be wrong. Um, Spiders I, from I, Mars. It's the, uh, it's, it's the simplification of her book. Yeah, I think it's, so. It's more bringing it into the mass media mm-hmm. market. So anyway, I was just going to say yeah. I would be interested to see how that has expanded if she's expanded her her, her views of of gender and even what they were initially because I'm only guessing too. I'm you know I, I haven't read either of them, but just the description sounds interesting to me, and I'd like and to see the progression of that. She, she is just to let you know though in reading the book, she is talking about gender in a more expansive way too. She's mm. not just talking about men and women. She's talking about um, different, uh, varied genders too. Mm-hmm. So what I am really curious about, um, with the, with the dichotomy of, of the quote male and quote female brains, um, is how much of that is actually innate and how much of it is, is from, um, cultural pressures, how we're brought up. I mean, you know, it's, it's like right now, during, you know, if you're, if you're giving birth to a baby, it's like all of a sudden you're close. It's like everything is gendered and it's crazy. And, um, but it's, so part of me thinks that a lot of it is cultural. And then, and then I get, you know, I read from my, my friends who are transitioning male to female about, you know, there's a certain stage when, uh, I guess their hormones, uh, when they're going through their, their female puberty, um, and how that affects a lot of how they are react to the world and perceive the world and, and how their thinking changes. Um, and sometimes it's, 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 it's hard to say, you know, it, it's, it confuses me because a lot of times I think that I have sometimes a very male brain and then I don't think that, so I, I don't know. You know, I mean, are brains really gendered? Are there, what are, you know, and it, it's like, are, and I know there's people studying this and I haven't really followed a lot of it, but. I have often wondered about that too. The whole idea of um, um, the male brain and female brain. That, um, the, I guess that was one of the things that really kind of struck me as I was reading about someone who, someone who's, wants to transition they say i felt that i i was a girl in a boy's body and i always felt that way and i just thought i don't know what it means to be a girl i just know i'm me so uh, i don't know well this is a this is a kind of a different topic i mean i can tell you things about what it feels like to know that your gender is different than what people expect of it and Uh-oh. and what people um 
Ugh. But that's this is a whole that's a whole other topic. I, I I'm right. not even re- I'm not even ready to put words to that right now. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, but, but that's I, a real uh, thing. You know, there is something innate. I think that we uh, the way we understand ourselves that's innate, and there's a lot of cultural overlay. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's a lot of pressure to behave and present in certain ways. Yeah. And when you don't, there's a lot of pushback. That I do know. But this conversation well, definitely tells me how much we conflate sex and sexuality and gender and how it's all yeah. blended up in our mind, you know, because I was definitely yeah. thinking of um, actual, the experience of having sex and one's sexuality and as part of this conversation. And it sort of became a different, a different tangent, but it's actually very typical of our, of our culture <laughs> that we I'll sort bring of it back around. Bring put it, that bring all it there. back around. Well, well, I mean, I'm just. I got sex. I want to talk about sex. I. (laughs) Well, the one thing I was thinking, Wendy, is that when you didn't want to talk about Freud anymore, is that (laughs) I was remembering a friend of ours who um, literally had two children before she ever had an orgasm. Wow! And didn't know that there was such a thing. I think she was talking to a friend and then finally this friend kind of got the picture that she didn't know what she was referring to when she was talking about that kind of that kind of sexual pleasure, wow. you know, and like gave her a vibrator and was like, here, you need this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and really? that's when she discovered this whole other world that just was not and it wasn't oh it wasn't that um, her husband was trying to keep anything from her or that she was like, she just didn't, they just literally didn't know, you know, that's actually, I'm not surprised. That's inconceivable to me. I, I when I had my first orgasm, I I can't remember, but, uh, I remember discovering things that were not necessarily official vibrators, but that served the purpose. And I was definitely in high school. So, or maybe even before that, um, yeah, you know, and, and, uh, now I'm glad my daughter doesn't listen to this podcast. Cause I remember she discovered herself, like her genitalia, um, and touching and she discovered touching her genitals was pleasurable, I think at about age five mm-hmm. and we had to kind of let her know that, you know, it's okay to do that but not in front of grandma and grandpa. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I, I've discovered those things pretty early too. And I think, um, but I guess if, you, if you're sort of taught a certain type of shame or just it's so not talked about that it's, or, or anytime you hear anything about that, it's just negative. Oh, we don't do that. We don't talk about it. Then I guess at a, at a certain, in certain eras, especially it was possible to just bypass that whole bit of awareness self-awareness well, you know yeah especially for going back in time uh there was no such thing as women's sexuality right there was right, right. no no one studied it or looked at it or anything they uh, and, and i think i think the the general knowledge was that women didn't have orgasms mm. and that would probably help all of the men who were really terrible lovers uh, <laughs> to feel better about themselves. And it could also be why certain nationalities 
uh, were, you know, like the French, when you're comparing like the French and the British, the, mm. the French are always very, every time you see like a historical movie, the French are always very uh, sensual and, and uh, pleasure focused. So maybe they understood about female orgasms and the British didn't, I, I don't know. But yeah. this, this actually brings me around to this movie I want to mention. It's called Hysteria. And it's quite uh, an amusing film. And it's, it's about the invention of the vibrator. And it's, it's about more than that. But that's kind of the, the name of it and the premise. And, it, and there's some, it's a pretty good cast. And, it, and it's very amusing. And it's, uh, it's set in the Victorian era. And it's this medical office who they treat women with hysteria, which, um, and they would treat it by uh, digitally manipulating the women's clitorises, but you couldn't see anything. Everything's like all very, you know, there's like drapes and stuff. It's all very silly. And, and how this one doctor, um, he was so good at it and so much in demand that his hands were <laughs> becoming cramped up and he couldn't, he would have to like yeah, ice, ice them. them. <laughs> yes. I, and so is this a comedy? Is it based in, I, I guess it's based in true story? Or I, is it? I, it t- I tend to think so. I, <laughs> it's true-ish. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, I, I mean, it sounds say, true-ish for sure. I have to say that I think that movie is based on a play I saw on Broadway. It was okay. a Broadway play, and it was called the Vibrator Play, and, <laughs> and it was all what you're describing. But but in the program, I remember reading in the program that it was based on real people. Okay, so I mean, the woman, be- the playwright who wrote it, and I'm sorry, I don't remember her name right now. That she did do research on us on that. Okay. So yeah, so that movie, um, I saw it on uh, on uh, HBO a few years ago. And it's available definitely on Amazon, but I think you have to pay for it to watch it now. I don't think it's free streaming anywhere. I did a little quick check uh, on it before we started recording, and I couldn't find, like, if it's up on Netflix or somewhere, but it's not. And uh, I think we're going to put a link to the trailer, at least, on uh, on our website. So yes. there's that. And, and uh, speaking of hysteria and the olden days, there were... You you know if you were hysterical, um, and I love how all of these these uh, words for being unhinged mentally are all related to the female reproductive stuff. Oh yeah, hysterectomy, hysterical, all this. It's all the H Y S is is uh, probably a, a Latin or Greek uh, list for the for the uh for the uterus or the uterine <laughs> uterine humans <laughs> um mm-hmm. uterine humans so, uterine <laughs> that's a good uterine, punk uterine, uterine, uter uter human you i can't even say it <laughs> i'm just making up <laughs> stupid portmanteaus that don't work um but there was a list floating around uh the internet for the past few years um it's called Reasons for Admission, 1864 to 1889. And these are reasons for admission into a Virginia mental institution during this time. Um, and I'm going to read a few of these. It's stuff like intemperance, well, hysteria, uh, kicked in the head by a horse, 
ill treatment by husband, imaginary female trouble. I like that one. That one's (laughs) hysteria is there. Immoral life, jealousy and religion, laziness, marriage. Wait, wait. (laughs) Okay. What? Oh my God. Jealousy and religion. Yeah. Jealousy. Well, okay. Um, I have a, uh, I'll get back into what, what these, these actually are. Uh, the marriage of son, masturbation Mm -hmm. and syphilis, masturbation for 30 years, uh, medicine to prevent (laughs) conception will get you locked up as being crazy. Wow. These were just, these were excuses that guys used to get rid of their wives. That's novel reading, opium habit, overaction of the mind, overstudy of religion, overtaxing mental powers. (laughs) Here's a parents were cousins. Okay. Um, Tobacco and masturbation. So I guess masturbation isn't enough. You need to do something else on top of it unless. Or or do it for 30 30 years. years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, here we go. Political excitement. So that that's like, we're done. (laughs) All up now. Um, Yeah. If she's a suffragist. (laughs) Oh, politics too. Politics. Just politics will get you. Religious enthusiasm, fever and loss of lawsuit. Okay. Asthma, bad company, bad habits and political excitement, bad whiskey, bloody flux. So I guess having your period is enough to get you thrown into the mental institution. Wow. Oh my goodness. I think it's interesting too. uh, When I, when I think about that list too, I think about Nellie Bly and, Mm -hmm. and how she went in, in undercover, uh, she's a journalist who went in undercover to see what the conditions were like in oh. asylums for women. Yeah, she got stuck there, right? Well, for 10, 10 days until her editor got her out. Yeah, yeah. they weren't going to let her out. She kind of, yeah, once you're she in there, crazy. it's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, death of son in war, deceived into the, decoyed into the army. Does that mean they cross-dressed and joined the army and then they got found out and probably probably I wonder what that sounds like. I can't figure out what else it would be. And there's deranged masturbation. I'm kind of scared to find out what that is. Oh, I'm very curious. <laughs> <laughs> Desertion by husband is a reason to be locked up. Hmm. Um, I guess maybe if it if you get so upset that your husband left that people around you said, all right, you're crazy. We're going to put you away now. So a lot of Uh, these have to do with either expressing sexuality or, or other people's uncomfortability with what do you, how do you tie these together? I'm curious. Yeah. um, There's there's more. The women were inconvenient for the men. And so the men in their life, either their husbands or their sons. And so they just got rid of them. Well, yeah. Is it that simple of- though, or is it that they were also per- believing in a culture that deemed them actually crazy? You know. Well, in the in the Snopes article, um, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's this this uh, this woman, Maureen Dabig. 
who wrote a book in 2001 called Parental Kidnapping in America and Historical and Cultural Analysis uh, claims this, she's used this list to illustrate how easy it was for a man to have his wife detained in an asylum in the latter half of the 19th century. These were the reasons for admission into the hospital. Um, and it's, they are also cautioning us as we're reading this to say these were not necessarily all considered symptoms of mental instability, but they were trying to come up with reasons of why they had mental illnesses such as chronic dementia, acute mania, which I'm not sure what that is, and mental melancholia. Um, so those, so those, those illnesses like, like depression. Yeah. Well, melancholy. Well, what's acute mania then? I know what melancholia is. Mm, I don't know. But I, I don't know if acute mania is excitability. Or you get you go off, you lose your temper a lot. Is that what that is? You it might know? be, yeah. I mean, I have an idea of what mania is in a more modern sense, but yeah, you know, part of as part of a bipolar thing. But I don't know that that's what they're describing. I don't. Know I don't think so either. I, I, it, it's like they're, but they're saying they're they're claiming that all of these things are factors that might have produced or exacerbated uh, their the illness that they're being diagnosed with. Mm. Um, but this is this list was real. Um, and it's recorded from an actual hospital in Virginia in the last parts of the, the 19th century. And, and it's, yeah, it's, it's like, um, you know, the, the men in these women's lives, uh, really had a lot of control over them in every aspect and they could, and they could, if they, if the women were not, um, behaving the way their husbands wanted, they could have them locked up mm. and it sucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to look up yellow wallpaper because that was, <laughs> that was a very good book. And, and it was about everything that you're talking about. Okay. Um, is yellow wallpaper, the paper the in the institutions or is that, Somebody got locked up because they put yellow wallpaper up on their wall. No, it's um, it's a a book, a novella that came out in the twenties, nineteen twenties, and um, and I, I'm just trying to find my my computer's too slow, um, the name of the the woman who wrote this, but it it's mainly has one character is this woman whose husband is a doctor and he decides that she's suffering from hysteria and that uh, she needs treatment. She need, he needs to cut off stimulation. So he mm. locks her up in this house in the attic where there's yellow wallpaper. And that's the only thing she has to look at. And the yellow paper has a uh, pattern to it, to it that starts to, after a while, she does go crazy locked up in this attic because she's not dealing with anybody. And it's, the book is written very well. And uh, it's, it's um, really an expose of what it's like to go crazy. So um, I highly recommend it. And I think it's actually in public domain. I was reading it on the Gutenberg, um, you know, the Gutenberg project where you can get free books. Mm -hmm. It's in there, so mm. people can look look it up. 
It's kind of cool. Well, I, I'm thankful for people who have come into uh, into the world to to bring some liberation from all this kind of oh, yeah. depressing stuff. I was thinking a lot about Betty Dodson. Do you familiar with her? No, no. Do tell us. Betty Dodson is really cool. She is a sex educator. Um, born in 1929, and she came. She was from Kansas, I believe, and moved to New York City like in 1950 or so. And she, you know, she just thought the city was exciting and everything, and became an artist. And this is something new. I didn't realize that she was a visual artist first, and got interested in sexuality. And she she did some erotic art. And this was, I guess, after. I think she had one marriage, and then when that marriage split up, she really started to explore sexuality more deeply, and people started to ask her questions about her artwork, and at first she was like, oh, I'm not an expert or whatever, and then she became um, much more forthcoming about like talking about what she knew and just um, you know, um, becoming more um, known and just sort of developed into a pro-sex feminist eventually. Mm. Um, and, you know, because there is a there is a strain of feminism, especially second wave feminism that um, just really it was so much about like not being objectified, that sexuality and like really embracing your sexuality wasn't so much a focus, you know, as what came later, I think. But she um, she's just been a really like a force of nature in a lot of ways um, for all these years in a, in a really and intellect and art and everything, but she, um, how did you learn about her? Uh, probably, I don't know. I mean, I'm just very much part of the communities that, that are, uh, about sexuality and embracing that, you know, all of yourself. So in the polyamory communities and, and, uh, longtime LGBT activist. So I think somewhere in my travels, I must've heard about her for the first time. Um, but she wrote a book called Liberating Masturbation in 1974, which... Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's early, and it's cool because it was like, I think she came out of a marriage where sex wasn't... I don't know that it was absent, but it just wasn't working for her or for both of them, for sure, you know? And she wound up talking to other people who said, well, you know, self-pleasure is a thing, and that has gotten me through a lot of my life and and she realized that about her life you know and that it's a it's a really positive thing and it's not a second rate experience at all you know and it's important to understand your body and to be um yeah to understand your body and to explore and to know what you like and to ask for what you want you know um and and that's like one way that's one avenue and one possible way of knowing that so she wrote liberating masturbation she wrote sex for one the joy of self-loving which i know i know i've read that orgasms for two the joy of partner <laughs> sex my and then other things about like romantic love and learn how to orgasm is another book she wrote even more recently so it's you know it's cool to um have people who have, you know, it was a thing that you didn't even talk about and it was a thing that was punished. And then, you know, some people start to emerge who are real advocates and teach workshops and teach people how to really understand your body and to, and to be, um, to, ex to embrace 
pleasure because yeah. that was such a thing. It was either like not uh, not understood at all or it was like a medical procedure or something, you know. <laughs> so I think that's a huge, a huge leap forward. And I'm really, and some people don't like, you know, the some of the third and fourth, third wave feminism, I guess you could say, where people are doing slut walk and reclaiming like bold sexuality and you know even terms that are used to disparage sexual women and things like that but i think that's i think it's cool you know like really well embrace terms that you were comfortable with but and and um and just live fully because i think um there can be that sort of backlash where like well there's a way in which you don't want to be objectified by someone else you know but and and i think by the flip side of that sometimes has been like, well, I don't want to, I just want to divorce myself from being seen as sexual at all or being, or being that. And then, you know, but then you have people that can help teach you to find that within yourself and embrace it if you want to and however and wherever, and that we're actually in control of that. It's very possible to be sexual and not be an object. Right. It's very, very possible. Um, and, and I remember, and this is, and this is more of a, of a, you know, there's one thing, you know, when you're walking down the street and you're dressed provocatively and you're walking a little provocatively and, you know, then you get catcalled and all of that. I mean, that's one form of objectification. And then there's a whole other form of objectification actually in the bedroom, um, which I experienced once and it was really creepy and weird and I did not like it. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was very, it was, uh, looking back on it now from, you know, 30 years of perspective. um, So this was a non, this was not a negotiated consensual way of being. No, it was, it was like a whole, there was a whole, it was a whole can of worms. There were, it was, I would say there were three other people involved at the time. Um, and, and they kept referring to me as it. And I really, really didn't like it. And it really, uh, you sure you weren't playing tag? No, we were not playing tag. Mm. (laughs) Um, and, uh, it just, it just really, um, kind of, took away any possibility of pleasure for me out of that whole thing, which was really sad, but it was educational. Like I said, it's like looking back on it now, it helped me go, you know, look through the list, the list of activities one can do in a sexual milieu, for example, and I say, okay, I don't like that. I don't want to do that anymore. So, Mm -hmm. you know, um, so anyway, so that's from, so from that at, perspective it was good to know that it's good to know what works and what doesn't work and sometimes you actually have to uh try it to know because it's like it's like food you know like oh i'm not going to eat that because how you know you're not going to like it until you taste it (laughs) that actually could work on a sexual level too well that's true and i think you know and i think that it's also just gaining the knowledge and the strength that you can you can negotiate what you want and it can be yeah. as kinky as whatever, or it can be not at all, or it can be 
multiple people yeah. or it could be yourself or it could be your one partner you know it's like we yeah. have the we have the right to choose all of that and yeah and we also have the responsibility to to communicate it to your partner or, or partners mm-hmm. and also to listen to what they communicate to you yeah so everybody everybody can get off in the maximum pleasure <laughs> exactly <laughs> Exactly. I'm not yeah. putting words together into sentences very well today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good Maybe it's, the topic is distracting you. Yeah, I need to go upstairs now. So uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Hello, this is Robin Renee. You can find me online at robinrenee.com and my music is on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. So check it out. And you can like me at facebook.com slash robinreneefan, tweet at me at spiritrocksexy, and follow me on Instagram at robinreneemusic. I would love to hear from you. Joe Jackson is amazing. <laughs> I, I just have to say, um, I a friend of mine got tickets for the show months and months ago. And I had, well, I knew I was going. And I said, yeah, let's do this thing. And I just didn't keep the date in my head or something. and never made it to my calendar. And all of a sudden he was like, oh, are we going to Joe Jackson Tuesday? And I was like, oh, my God, yes. yes. <laughs> and uh, I was so happy to check him out at the Scottish Rite Auditorium in Collingswood, New Jersey. Um, he's doing the, well, first of all, if you don't know Joe Jackson, you probably know, um, is she really going out with him? Oh, okay. Now, now I know who, it is. Now I know who you're the, talking about. <laughs> back in the day and and stepping out, he did, was which was another, I think was actually his biggest hit, which surprised me because I think I thought of, the first one as a bigger hit, but you know, sales sales wise, stepping out definitely outsold it. Um, he's in the middle of a four decades tour. So his first album came out in 1979, actually. Um, and it's been, it's a great, great show. Um, I saw him years ago, probably in the mid nineties or so early nineties. And it was like, he was definitely in sort of a, a very particular period. Like this is someone who's done, he started out in like the new wave, nervous rock energy mode, kind of the angry young man thing and has done things that are jazz influenced and classical. And you really, you know, run a gamut over the years. Um, But when I saw him first, he was doing this very sort of jazz, you know, artiste kind of thing. It was very, he wasn't really doing much of the older material that you, people started to know him from in the beginning. So, you know, it was a good show, but it wasn't, this was really cool because it's an, an overview of really, really great songs and um, composership and just um, really great musicality. And I love his voice. His voice is excellent. Um, so, it, you know, it was, a, it was a really, it was a good show. Very, very cool. Um, do you guys know 
Anything more about him? I'm going to chime in here. Not that I know him, but that the theater where I work at the box office, State Theater, um, he came there, he, like, just this last month. And he was not, he was a rental, I think. He, like, he packaged his show and he rented the place. It wasn't something that our theater produced. And, um, oh, my phone is ringing. <laughs> Shut that off. Okay. And um, so the thing is, there was no ads up. There was no ads. There was no posters. There was nothing. And somebody said, oh, we have this new thing on the calendar. It's Joe Jackson. So be aware that people are going to call. People called like crazy. It was like within a week, oh, the, uh, um, the 1,800 seat auditorium was sold out. So, wow. yeah. So, and I don't know where they were finding out about it, but the people who are Joe Jackson fans are very loyal and they were calling up and they were spending a lot of money. The tickets were expensive. Mm-hmm. Too, so. And he's coming back though. So. People will be back at the at that theater. Are you selling tickets now still for him, right? Oh, oh, then then it's yeah, I, I didn't know where we were in in our calendar, but yeah, he he is coming, but he's sold out. He's wow. pretty much sold out. Yeah. No, I well, and I I have tickets, so I'm glad oh, you know, I was glad to find out about that. I think you mentioned it before and uh, yeah. I was like, I need to get tickets for that. But yeah, no, it's it's um it's a great show. Yeah, it was a great show. He um, let me think of some of the things that I really like about it. Well, he did, um, he did, he did a couple of surprises. And one of the things that I really liked is that he said that, oh, I'm going to do a song by two of my favorite composers, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. I was like, I did not know that he was a huge Steely Dan fan. And he sang this song called King of the World, which is an old Steely Dan song. Um, I like that and, song. Yeah. And not one that you would think it's not an obvious song, you know, and it, but it's a great one. And so that was a really cool thing to hear and, and to kind of put together, there's a certain, there's a similar vocalization, like uh, type of vocals that I like, and I don't have a term for it yet, but I think Donald Fagan has it. Joe Jackson kind of has it. It's sort of a, someone who carries a tune, but has like a raspiness to them mm-hmm. as well. Elvis Costello, I think has it too. Um, and Tell I me. think that's like my favorite kind of voice, or at least it's one a of little nasally. I don't. That's not the right word either. But it's not raspy like Rod Stewart. It's no. It's, it's not. It's, it's not a as different. <clears throat> it's more. Um, I think it's more coming in from like the resonant cavities in your head rather than like in your gut. Maybe. Hmm. I don't know. Like if I was trying to emulate singing like them in that style i would have to kind of move move the move the you can't nobody can see what i'm doing i'm gesturing in (laughs) across my face up Uh, i would have to move where the sound comes out up into my head more than down into my gut yeah Um, that sounds like a chest voice to me yeah i'd have to actually listen and then try well i'm just saying if you try to imitate it and you have to you know you got to shape your mouth a certain way. So the sound comes out like a certain way. And, um, I mean, I'm not the best imitator of, of singers. I mean, I can do a couple of people dead on. I could do share. You do share. Yeah. 
Yeah, I could do Cher. I could do uh, Deborah Holland, which nobody knows. Um, uh. <laughs> uh, she she's a singer and a songwriter, and her band that was out for a while was called Animal Logic, and it was kind of one of these put together bands with um, I think it was Steve Howe and maybe um, Stanley Clark on bass and possibly the drummer from the police. They, it was like this pickup band. I don't know that they ever toured or anything together, but I used to listen to her albums and my ex would ask, you know, would come in the room and thought it was me singing. So I know I can sound like her. So that's all I'm saying is, is I'd have to listen and see how the voice, the voice, if I was going to imitate it, where I'd have to place it in my body. Right, right. And kind of what the what the common thread is between those yeah. and those kinds of vocals. Um but you know, but overall, um good show. It's still you know, he he mostly keyboards all all the way through. He didn't really stand up and sing as much. He was really at the keyboard and um which was really nice to hear him play. I really, you know, I've been going back through the catalog and listening to different things and discovering parts of his his music that I hadn't didn't keep up with, you know, at certain points. And, um, you know, it's good. And I'm reminded of a lot of things. Like I really like his queer sensibility, especially in, in relation to gender. There's sort of sometimes turns gender expectations on its head in interesting ways. And um, I'm thinking of the songs, it's different for girls and real men are both really awesome songs. Um, so I am kind of re re-energized in my own creativity <laughs> after really hearing him live. And that's that's one of the best experiences I have when I go to a concert, when it really reminds me what what I love about music and that sort of reignites its essential spark I have for it. That's um, good. Cause yeah. you've been you've been uh kind of putting that on the back burner recently. Yeah, yeah. I've been feeling very lost actually creatively. Um so it's really, really nice to have that awakened and to yeah. have so much music to go back and listen to, too. And um, that's been really fun for me. So I really this tour is going all over the place. Like Mary said, you know, like shows are selling out everywhere and stuff. But he's got so many shows uh, for the U- uh, for Europe and the U.S. Wow. all the way through to like end of July or something. So um, definitely worth checking out if anyone is uh, within earshot of this and wants to check, wants to hear Joe Jackson live because it was um, really, really a good thing to do. And I'm looking forward to the next show I get to see in May. So cool. Good stuff. You've been listening to the Leftscape podcast. Find us online at leftscape.com on Twitter at Leftscape and on Facebook at Leftscape. The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. New episodes every Wednesday.